Body, Mind, Spirit Radio, your life connection to the information for a healthy body, an enlightened mind, and a renewed spirit. Welcome, everyone, to Journey into Oneness. I am your host, Darlene Sella, coming to you from the most magnificent, colorful mountains of Western North Carolina. Everything is bursting a new life. Every tree, every bush, every flower is so alive with the freshness of spring. I think it's the absolutely best time of year to be out in nature and to let its joy and abundance and celebration fill you up. I love to sit on a huge rock, or a boulder actually, in the woods and just allow myself to blend in with the natural surroundings to feel at one with all that is around me. What a heavenly gift to feel this connection to such beauty and bliss. And that's what this show is about, uh, feeling at one with all that is around us. And we truly are connected to absolutely everything in the universe. But sometimes this can be a huge challenge like when that connection leads us to feel deeply the emotions of some people to the extent that we really think they are our own emotions. This can play havoc with our lives. So we have today a very special guest that is going to help us address and work through this very challenge. Trevor Lewis has had a lifelong passion to expanding consciousness for himself and the people around him. Three years ago, he walked away from a career in IT to follow that passion full-time. He now coaches empaths and highly sensitive people on how to integrate their ability alongside their, quote, real-world life, unquote. Trevor was born in England and came to America 30 years ago. He came to live in Asheville five years ago and states that this is the first town he has ever lived in that makes him feel mainstream. And in 2016, uh, Trevor co-authored the book, Thriving as an Impact. Trevor, welcome to the show. Thank you, Darlene. Great to be here. It's wonderful to have you. Uh, You know, today... We are so encouraged to live from the heart uh, and to not only think our way through life, but to feel our way through life. Um, But in the case of an empath, this can be a bit of a challenge. So um, tell me, you chose the title of this show as, Are Your Chaotic Emotions Really Yours? Um, Can you tell us what you meant by that? Well, so when we feel angry or sad or any other emotion, the first thing that we try to do is, what do I need to do to fix it? What is it going on in my life that makes me feel that emotion? And if I can't fix it, then what doctor, what therapist, what drugs do I need? Whereas... For an empath, 
it's a case of, you were saying with nature, we're part of the universe. My body doesn't stop at my skin. Yours doesn't start in your chair. It's a case of, we are interconnected. And for an empath, it means that I can be processing your emotions. And if I try and fix myself because I'm processing your emotions, it's not going to work. As soon as I start recognizing that I can be picking up emotion from the people around me, then it's a whole different approach. It's the case of what am I taking on rather than what's wrong with me? So that's why it's a case of the most important question an empath can ask themselves is, is, are these emotions that I'm feeling really mine? Because if we ask ourselves that question, very often it can be that just asking that question, just allowing that emotion to flow through, it, that can allow the emotion to melt away because it's not ours to hang on to. Okay, let's um, go back a little bit. And can you give uh, us a definition of empath? Sure. So, well, first of all, let me start off with the word empathy, and we'll talk about being an empath. Okay. Because certainly the way I grew up, the word empathy meant that if I know something about your life and I've had a similar experience, then I've kind of walked a mile in your shoes and more than just sympathize with what you're going through, I've had a similar experience so I can empathize with it. But it starts with me knowing what's going on in your life for me to be able to feel empathy for it. So that if somebody uh, comes to work and they get really uh, upset because there was a huge traffic jam and this is an important day for them, you can empathize with them because you have been in that position. I've been stuck on my way to work. I've been anxious <laughs> about getting to a meeting on time, and absolutely. So that's being empathic. The reason why I like using the word empath as a noun is because for an empath, I don't need to know anything about what's going on in your life. I can be picking up your anxiety about getting to that meeting on time. I'm feeling anxious, but it's not my anxiousness, it's yours, and yet your emotion can go through my body. So that's the distinction that I make in terms of empath versus empathy, that as an empath, I don't need to know what's going on in your life. You feel it. I feel it. Very viscerally. Absolutely. Now, having said that, the, the challenge with using the word empath to say that I'm an empath, it implies that some people are empaths and some people aren't. Whereas the true nature is we all, we're all empaths to some degree. It's just a case of some people, it really hits us hard and our whole life is impacted by the extent to which we pick up emotions from other people. And for other people at the other end of the spectrum, it's kind of, they almost are an island under themselves. They don't get affected by what's going on with the people around them. Okay. Uh, maybe it would uh, help for us to know a little bit about your background. 
And when did you discover that you are an empath? I'll tell you the day I realized that something weird was going on was the day 25 years ago when I was in a one-on-one meeting with a woman at work in the office. And it was 10 o'clock in the morning. And I'm thinking, I'm looking at my watch and thinking, it's 10 o'clock. My stomach feels like it's 12 o'clock. It's ready for lunch. What's going on here? Two seconds later, the woman opposite me looks up and says, you know, I missed breakfast this morning. I'm really hungry. That's when I knew something strange was going on. And yet it was another 20 years. It wasn't until about five years ago that I fully realized, hang on, there's a name for this. There is something I can do about it. Up until that time, I'd even had a notice on my computer screen, a post-it note saying, it's not your stuff, be aware. I knew I was processing other people's energy. I just didn't know what to do about it. Until July 2012, I had been processing some emotional energy all month, got to the end of the month, and then I asked myself that question of, hang on, This isn't mine. This is my manager's. And all of that emotion suddenly just melted away. I then proceeded to do the same thing the following month, August. And being somewhat a slow learner, I did the same thing in September. But having got through September and realizing for the third month in a row I was processing other people's energy, that's when I realized, oh, there's a name for this. And for all of you Trekkers out there, if you remember Deanna Troy, on the ship's counselor on Star Trek Enterprise, she was an empath, and that's where that was my trigger for knowing a name for what was happening to me. Learning from Star Wars. Absolutely. <laughs> but it's a case of I then started teaching myself and going out and learning. And now one of my missions on the planet is to help other empaths go through a shorter, easier learning curve than I went through. What causes uh, some people to be more uh, of an empath than others? I like the radio analogy. With a radio receiver, some people have stronger receivers than others. Some Radios have stronger receivers, stronger antennae than others. They can pick up more stations. So when somebody is picking up more energy from other people, then we call them empaths. Okay. I certainly believe that some people are stronger transmitters. And therefore, the people around a strong transmitter are going to be more likely to pick up their energy because they broadcast on a really loud channel. So is it uh, then means that if you've got a mother or a father or an aunt or a friend that's an empath and you're around them all the time, it's easier for you to pick up that? Well, certainly the, the blood relationship um, in a, a family is definitely key to picking up their emotions. Even the mainstream world is very familiar with the idea that mothers tune into their children and can tell when their children are in trouble. The mainstream understands that. 
that is just a degree of empathy that exists between a mother and her children. Some mothers are more that way inclined than others, but we're very familiar with the idea of mothers have that ability. With friends, with acquaintances, with work colleagues, obviously there's some connection there. So that emotional connection, just by knowing them, can be enough to create a link. It's like tuning into a very specific radio station. And then sometimes it's just about uh, physical proximity, be it a neighbor on the other side of your townhouse wall, or whether it's most empaths really dislike crowds. And I can see why. Thank you. Yes. So th- these are one of the characteristics. Is that um, I mean, it's one of the first questions I ask people um, if I think they're an empath is, do you avoid crowds? The uh, some of the other questions would be. Most empaths have been described as oversensitive all their lives. So it's a case of, as soon as I start asking somebody, have you been described as sensitive all of your life? And they say yes. Okay, clue number one. Mm-hmm. Clue number two, do you avoid crowds? Three, can you sense when somebody is not telling you the truth? Mm-hmm. And very often I have to add on to that, Can you tell when somebody's not telling you the truth if you actually listen to your heart and gut? Because so often we want to listen with our ears and our brain and think, of course, they're saying I should trust them, so I'm going to trust them. Whereas if I actually check in with what's going on in my gut, it's the case of, I'm not going to trust you, no way. You know, right? Yeah. The fourth question is, do you have mood swings for reasons that sometimes you just don't understand. Because if I'm peacefully minding my own business in the quiet of my own home, and all of a sudden I'm hitting a mood swing, it's one of the clues that, okay, this isn't mine. This is that somebody else has tuned into me or I've tuned into them. It's not my emotion. The challenge is, do I actually stop in that moment and question whether it's mine or whether it's not, or do I get caught up in the wave of that emotion? We can come back to that in a second. Right. But, and then my fifth question um, is a very simple one of, so are you aware that you pick up energy from other people? Because many empaths will simply turn around. Whether they recognize themselves, they do know that they pick up energy from other people. And so I've had people turn around saying yes to all five of those questions, and they're still at, but Trevor, I'm not sure that I'm an empath. Oh, my heavens. And sometimes it's just an adjustment from the way we've been brought up to think in kind of Newtonian physics terms of we're all separate beings. Right. Versus a more modern approach, which is more in line with quantum physics of, no, we are all connected. Okay, let me uh, throw this out to you. This was an experience that I had the other day. I went on a very strenuous hike with someone. uh, We're both in a hiking class. 
And I was leading my own hike the following day, but a very easy hike. And so I invited her to come. I said, this will be good just to get out again, but this will be very relaxed and easy. The strenuous hike that we did was on a Saturday. And Saturday night, I'm thinking, she's not going to come. I know. So is that just tuning in, or would you say that's a... Uh, and she did not come. Yeah. You know, uh, what would you say uh, to explain that? So there's not a clear-cut distinction between being an empath and picking up other people's emotions and picking up other people's thoughts, which starts to lean into telepathy. Okay. Um, and essentially it's the case that somebody who is sensitive enough to pick up other people's emotions is also sensitive enough that there's a lot of other ESP and extrasensory perception type of abilities that very often go hand in hand with being an empath. So they could be mediumship, they could be seeing the future, it could be being aware of what's going on in another place. Um, lots of different abilities which certainly aren't empathy in themselves, but can be part of this bundle of perception that okay. is opening up. So the biggest thing in being an empath is that you actually physically embody, you're viscerally, the emotions. Actually, more than anything else, yes, embodying the emotions some people are very physical empaths in terms of if somebody's knee is hurting, they will pick up energy from the knee and their own knee will hurt. Okay. I, I tend not to operate that way. Most of the empaths I work with tend not to operate that way. They work on the emotional level rather than the physical body. But yes, there, there are maybe 10% of the empaths I work with work on the physical body, um, perhaps as much, if not more so, than the emotional body. Okay. You stated, uh, and you said we were going to get back to this, so um, how does an empath uh, prevent being swept along with these emotions <laughs> that he or she may be picking up? And so many empaths are out there. First of all, if they don't even understand what's going on, they just get swept away with the tides of other people's emotions. Even once they do understand that they're empaths, they process uh, other people's energy, they get left in that limbo that I was in for 20 years of, okay, I know this is happening, but now what do I do about it? Mm. And so there are three favorite tools that I have. Um, and the most important one of them is just asking the question, is it mine? And when we ask that question, it allows the emotion to keep moving through. Emotions are meant to flow through us. The, I've heard it said, emotion, energy in motion. The damage comes when the energy stops moving. And when we start to think that the emotion is ours, that it belongs to us, 
and our mind kicks in and starts wanting to put on labels and meanings and judgments, it starts to freeze that emotion in our body and it gets stuck there. Okay, so that's the first question. Is it mine? How do they know? I mean, they can say, well, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling angry. I don't know why. Is that it? If they, is they're feeling something and they have no idea why? Basically, yes. Okay. And although the first thing the mind will want to do is justify why it is theirs. I'll give you an example. Um, because I do healing work as well. Um, and I was working on somebody remotely. All I knew about him was a name and a location. I sat down in my home office to work on him for the first time, and as I sat down, I started thinking about uh, a customer service issue that I was having with my cable company. Now, cable companies are notorious for customer service issues, and if you start thinking about them, it's not difficult to go to a place of feeling angry. Mm -hmm. And I just got to the point of, you know, I'm so angry about this. Clearing this man is going to have to wait. I'll come back to him. I'm going to write another email to the cable company. And if I had that thought, I realized, oh, I get it. It's not about the cable company. It's not my anger. I was starting to tune into him for the healing work. And in the process of tuning into him, I was picking up his anger. But my mind wanted to justify why I was angry. And the first place my mind could go to was the cable company. Okay, so he could have been angry at his wife. Absolutely. Or anything. And... I rarely get that level of understanding of why they're feeling that emotion, although occasionally I do. But it's a case of it's that raw emotion, and then what do I do with that emotion? Okay. So the first thing is, is it mine? Correct. And the second? So the second one, a friend of mine was telling me that Uh, She had to go to a funeral, and she hated going to a funeral. She hated going to funerals. Why, and this is my sarcastic rhetorical question here, why would an empath hate going to funerals? (laughs) (laughs) It's because we, as empaths, we pick up everybody else's grief. And actually, let me say there that especially empaths get to process the emotions that the people around them are denying. Oh, there's a lot of denial out there too. There's a lot of denial, and the more the other person is in denial, the more the empath gets to process their energy for them. Well, that sure doesn't seem fair, does it? (laughs) No, it doesn't. It's part of the... As as I put it, it's part of what we signed up for when we came in. Ah... And we'll talk more about the healing aspect. So my friend is telling me about hating going to funerals. And I started answering her. And I started answering her with the technique I'm about to share with you. But as I'm answering her, I'm suddenly thinking to myself, hang on, I didn't know I knew this. 
So it was one of my first very clear experiences of getting an informational download from spirit. So let me explain this in terms of an analogy. If you've got two barrels of water, one's full of clean water, one's full of dirty water, and you've got a pipe connecting the two. If the water moves from the dirty barrel through the pipe to the clean barrel, the dirty barrel stays dirty, the clean barrel gets dirty, it's a lose-lose. Okay. You could, of course, block the pipe and stop moving the water between the two barrels. And in an empath world, people talk about that as shielding or blocking. And to be honest, I'm not a fan of shielding, although if it works for somebody, by all means, go ahead. But the problem is it stops the movement of the energy, and the energy needs to be in motion because we know what happens to stagnant water. It gets green and smelly. So the the energy needs to be in motion. So if we do it the other way and push water from the clean barrel to the dirty barrel, the clean barrel stays clean, the dirty barrel gets cleaner, and we even get to wash out the inside of the pipe process. There's just one problem with that, as any nurse, social worker, or teacher knows only too well. They get drained if they push their own energy through and don't get refreshed. Right. So in terms of the, the barrel of clean water, yes, push the water um, through the pipe to the dirty barrel, but first refill from the divine wellspring so that it's not our own energy that we're pushing out. It's bringing in divine energy, allowing divine energy to fill us up and then pushing that out to the other barrel. Okay. So if, if this gets into healing, well, empath being a healer. So th- this is a three-step technique. One, ground. Push uh, roots out. Visualize roots going out through your legs, deep into the center of the earth. The energy needs to be grounded in the same way as electricity needs to be grounded for the same reason. When I first started teaching this technique, I wasn't telling people to ground first, and I was wondering why only half the people were getting it. Once I started teaching this with grounding first, it makes a huge difference. So one, put roots down into the ground. Okay. Number two, connect up to the divine wellspring, source, spirit, the universe, higher self, you name the term. You've got so many different terms for it. Whatever term works for you. Can basically connect to the divine wellspring. Allow that energy to come in and fill yourself up first. And then step three is project out to the other person, the other people. If you're in a room, if you're in a work meeting with energy you just don't feel comfortable with, then you can use this simply connect down, connect up, project out. Okay, so that if you're in a room and you don't know exactly who um, you're picking up the energy from, but you know that it may be one or few people, just by projecting the energy out into the room, 
you will feel better. You will feel better. Okay. I've, I've worked with people all around the world now, and including people that literally could not leave their homes because of the way they picked up energy from other people. Mm. And they started using this technique, and it worked. And all of a sudden, they were able to go out, even go to the store, go to shops, and they were able to get through that experience without falling apart in the way that they used to. Is it helpful for them to uh, do the technique even before they go out? Actually, yes, absolutely. And particularly when I first started using this technique, I found myself in a PTA meeting in a school cafeteria with several hundred people, and I suddenly realized, oh, I haven't protected myself and started running this technique and realized it was helping a little bit, but there were so many more of them than there were of me. Now if I'm going to a big meeting or if I'm crowd, I will run this exercise before I leave the house. I will run it when I get out of the car at the other end. I will run it when I walk into the building. Of course, okay. of course my instructions to my subconscious are, I want this running 24-7. Right. Um, I certainly can't run it consciously 24-7. One, I sleep, and two, if I was trying to run this exercise in the middle of a conversation like right now, I'd be stumbling over my words because my brain just isn't that good at doing two <laughs> things at once. So I want it running 24-7 subconsciously, but yes, when I, and when I know I'm going to be under pressure, then I'll do it more consciously. But let me come back. You, we're asking about healing. Right. Because I first started talking about this as a protection technique, and it certainly is a protection technique. But, of course, it's also a healing technique. We're taking divine energy and using that to project it onto other people, and that is providing a healing process. Because okay. Uh, one question I have uh, is that usually we don't we don't uh, project uh, work on anyone individually unless we have their permission. Absolutely. And to some extent, I, I mean, in terms of my more um, intense healing work that I do, absolutely 100% I will not do that work on anybody if I don't have their permission. If they're capable uh, of giving me their permission, then they have to give me permission before I will do that sort of healing work on them. Um, on the other hand, it's a case of, you know the difference if you walk into a store and frown at the clerk behind the desk or smile at them, and that energy that you project with a smile is actually helping to heal them too. And you don't need their permission to smile at them. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> so, yeah, th this level of energy, one, it's a, it also is protecting you. So it's a case of self-protection comes first. If protecting myself means helping you in the process, then I'm going to help you because it helps me. A little side note here, empaths are notorious people pleasers. Right. They'll, and essentially, my understanding of that is 
of course I want to please you. Why would I want you to be upset if I'm only going to have to process the energy that you go into when you're upset? I want to keep you calm and relaxed and at peace so that I get to be calm and relaxed and at peace. Please! <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we want to keep other people um, at ease. So, it's hard to be around crowds because we pick up energy from them. And yet, I run a monthly meetup in Asheville for empaths. And we sometimes have a dozen, two dozen, uh, um, on occasion we've even had uh, as many as 30 or 40 people in the room. And it's a case of, but empaths don't want to be around that many people. It is very distinct in terms of when you're around other people that are operating at the same frequency as you. It's not draining it's actually invigorating and enlivening. So that it's a real pleasure to be around other empaths, even in large numbers. Oh, that's interesting. So uh, so the protection is really important. To think of yourself first uh, and to do this three-step exercise. Every airline passenger knows that. Put your own oxygen mask on before you help the person next to you. Right, right. So, we, so your first thing was in telling empaths was first, is it mine? Correct. Um, the second was about the protection. About, I call that the light projector exercise, which okay. is connect down, connect up, project out. And then you had a third point. And I had a third one. So the third one is a, a longer exercise. Um, in fact, it's the first thing that after I published the book, Thriving as an Empath, it was the first technique that it was a case of, I wish I could have put that in the book. <laughs> but let me talk about that a little bit in terms of, so most new age teachers, when they're talking about chakras, which are energy centers in the body, Right. Most New Age teachers will tell us to, to open up those energy centers and how to open up those energy centers. For an empath, it's the last thing we need. We're walking around with our arms outstretched, kind of saying to the universe, give me, give me, give me, I can take it on. And the last thing you want to encourage an empath to do is to take on more. For an empath, it's a case of how do we close down the chakras, not from a case of closing them down completely and keeping them closed. If a door is closed all the time and never opens, it's part of the wall. If a door is open all the time, it's a hole in the wall. The, what makes it a door is the ability to open and close it. To, be, to become a thriving empath, it's the ability to know when to open up and when to close down. That seems like that'd be good information for anyone, actually. Absolutely. And uh, as I say, part of my mission on the planet now is helping other people develop their skills. So many empaths start off thinking that their abilities are a curse, a liability, and kind of wishing that they could be taken away. Once you start to realize that they can be 
used and controlled and understood, it's really like, okay, if you have a front doorbell and you never go and answer the front door, is the case of, what's this front doorbell for? It's just a noise. It's driving me crazy. Yeah. Now, this is where it comes to empaths are healers because the purpose of being an empath is not in terms of picking up other people's energy. It is that we are natural healers. And an empath who is not healing is not working with others. It's like having a front doorbell but never answering the front door. The energy is meant to be in motion. I've been saying that throughout in terms of if you create movement, it can move through. And when an empath is not healing, the energy gets stuck. When they are healing, then it allows that energy to flow. Not only does the other person feel better, but we ourselves as empaths feel better. Because that's basically what you are incarnated on earth to do. Your special gift. Special gift that I have to the level that I have it. Other people have it to a greater extent. Other people have it to a lesser extent. But let me explain what I mean by healers. Because I'm sure that we've got listeners who are saying, I'm not a healer. In as much as they're not a nurse. They're not a social worker. They don't do Reiki or whatever. But yet so many empaths find that they magnetize people to them. They find themselves being a listening ear for other people's problems. Even complete strangers will come up to them and start telling them the most intimate details about their life because they have that healing energy within them. Maybe someone doesn't know that they're a healer that they have that ability to talk to people and make people feel better just by being with them. Maybe they don't have a formal healing technique. Like, I'll use just Reiki as an example because it's so widely known. But it's a case of if they don't have their own modality, I'll certainly encourage them to go out and learn a modality. It doesn't even matter what. It's Go and learn whatever attracts you and then make it your own. I actually think that there are 8 billion modalities on the planet. I think you're right. And so find your own modality. That's the one that you were born to practice. And sometimes it's having this open heart. We're back to open heart again. Yeah, it's about... It's about being of service, it's about helping other people, and it's just about coming from the heart. Okay, let's go back to this open and closed door. Okay. And uh, tell us, how do, we then, uh, do, how do we then close that door a little bit? So it's a process that I, um, I take people through this process over about 10 or 15 minutes, Although at home, it's something that you can practice in just 30 seconds, 60 seconds. But it's essentially, in a nutshell, it's connect to the ground 
and then work up through the chakra system, through these energy points, just closing them down one by one so you're working all the way up through each of the chakras to the crown chakra, staying connected to the divine, but closing that down to a pinpoint of light. Just in the same way as you don't go into a gym to, to then carry weights around for the rest of the day. You're going into a gym to lift weights for the experience of working the muscles. This is a way of working our chakra muscles to go to visually go inside, close down all the chakras, practice closing them down, being aware of which chakras close down more easily than others, and then having gone through that exercise of closing everything down, then go back through and open them up and allow your higher self to just open them up as much as is appropriate. And let your higher self determine what is appropriate. Don't try and intellectualize it. Just go it through the process as if you know what you're doing. Yes, your brain is saying, but I don't know what I'm doing. Thank you, brain, for sharing. And just do it anyway. And just do it anyway. I like to say the brain isn't a primary organ. You can actually live just fine without your brain. It is not a primary organ. It just thinks it is. I love that. I love that. So that's so. What do you call that? Just opening and closing your chakras. Yes. So are those the three points? So, so those are my pre, three primary exercises I go through. Ask yourself, is it yours? That's the first one. Second one, run the light projector exercise. Connect down, connect up, project out. And the third one is just practicing closing down the chakras and having gone through practice closing them down, then go through again just reopening them as much as is appropriate. And obviously, as much as is appropriate is going to be different at different times. If you're in a healing environment, either with somebody working on you or you working on someone, then it's a great environment to have your chakras open in and to have your energy fields open. If you're in the middle of downtown and you've got hundreds of people around you, you might want to pull your energy in because you don't want other people's energy brushing up against yours. Sounds like a good idea. It really does. Okay, let me... um... I was just thinking of another example of something that uh, a friend of mine experienced, and I want to connect that with, you know, being an empath. She had gone jogging with someone and uh, was feeling really good uh, in the beginning of jogging with this person, and the the person had a, a horrible day the day before and spent the whole time just talking about his horrible day. At the end of the jog, he felt terrific. <laughs> and your friend felt terrible. She felt terrible. So uh, she may not have been an empath, but well, talk and, to that. And this is the problem with using the noun empath. As I said, it implies that some people are and some people aren't. 
whereas we all are to some degree or another. Okay. Um, you know, there's a lot on the internet about empaths and narcissists. I'm not a fan of the word narcissist. I actually believe there are toxic relationships more than there are toxic people. But nevertheless, empaths are natural healers. We can't be natural healers unless we've got people around us to heal. And mm -hmm. therefore, we are naturally magnetized towards people who need healing. People who need healing are naturally magnetized towards us. Now, this is the point at which I throw a quick aside in here and say, just because we're supposed to be healing people and we need people around us who need healing, we don't have to marry them. We don't have to be in relationship with them. Mm. And part of this is boundaries in terms of how do we establish boundaries? If I don't want to upset you because as soon as I upset you, I'm going to have to process your energy, then how do I stand up for what is mine? How do I keep boundaries around me that protect my environment so that I'm looking after myself at the same time not ruffling your feathers? And that's a real conundrum for any empath. A challenge. So, so it's a, for your friend it would be, so how could she have handled that differently? What would it have taken for her to say, uh, I really don't need to hear about all of your problems right now because I don't want to take them on? Or is it, this is where the light projector technique would have been ideal in terms of, oh, they're dumping all of this energy at me. Let me connect down to the ground to make sure I'm grounded. Let me connect up to the divine so that I make sure that I'm being refreshed with divine energy more than this other person's energy. Let me project that divine energy onto them. And to some extent, maybe I can listen and hear the words coming off in terms of what a terrible day they had yesterday. But maybe I can still stay clean and refreshed in the process without having to take on their stuff. So you can hear it, but then you don't have to embody it. Exactly. That happens a lot, I would imagine. Well, a friend of mine said, Trevor, how come as an empath we seem to take on so much negative energy? And of course the answer is, excuse me, look out the window, read the news. There's so much negative energy out there. But it was actually a few weeks later, I was having a fabulous week to the extent that I was actually saying quite literally, this is the week I've been waiting for for 50 years. It was that good a week. Mm. And in the course of that day, my friend phoned me up and said, Trevor, I am feeling fabulous and I don't think it's mine. I think it's yours. Oh, my heavens. That that's interesting because I was just going to ask you a question on taking on other people's positive energy. That's exactly <laughs> it. It can happen. You know, there's a saying, there's a one motivational speaker out there who is um, known for a quote, basically, we are the sum of the five people closest to us. 
We are the average of the five people closest to us. No kidding. Wow. And if that is true, then look at the five people closest to, to you and ask yourself the question, do I want to be the average of these five people? That's a very good way of looking at it. Very good way. Wow. Wow. So on the average, empaths have a challenge with negative emotions. Is there a way that they can be around people with higher emotions? Well, so I said that I'm on a mission to help other empaths. Right. Um, to have a shorter learning curve, an easier learning curve than I had. So I'm really being of service to those other empaths and helping them is the real truth. I'm doing it for me. Because I get to be around other empaths. I love doing this work. I love being around other empaths because I get to work process their energy, which is a cleaner energy than a lot of the other energy that is out there among the masses. So it's a case of, yep, sometimes we do our best work in terms of helping ourselves by helping other people. Okay. Um, Impasse is, you hear a lot more about them nowadays. So actually, when I wrote the, the book, Thriving as an Empath, there were a handful of books out on Amazon with empath in the title. Just two years later, there are dozens out there. It's growing in popularity. As world consciousness rises, then this awareness is growing. But for most of us as empath adults, it's been a case of we've grown up thinking that we were weird, we were outcast, we were different, felt very alone, very misunderstood, and very much we weren't going to talk about it. Now with the internet, it's easier to connect. There's more of us supporting each other. We're recognizing that there are other people out there. And now I tell my empaths, so maybe if we're not the odd ones out, maybe we're not the weird ones, maybe we're just the advanced guard we are the ones who are starting to experience the way the human species is going. You're ahead of the curve. We're ahead of the curve. Is there anything else that you want to share that would help somebody that is having a challenge with uh, their emotions, not knowing if they are theirs or not, or um, wanted more uh, information about being an empath? Certainly there's a lot of stuff out there on the internet. Failing all else, there's the route that I took, which was starting off with a Google search. Um, and it's a case of start searching the word empath and start reading. Obviously, I recommend my book, Thriving as an Empath, subtitle, Empowering Your Highly Sensitive Self. Um, if you're in the Asheville area, I run a monthly meetup group, go out to meetup.com, and um, search for Calling All Empaths. Love to see new faces there. It's a fabulous experience just to be in a room with other empaths and actually being able to talk to people about it. You can go out to my website, thrivingempath.com, 
and that has got all of my contact information is my email, my phone number, and get in touch. I love talking to empaths. It's a case of half an hour, an hour, first conversation, absolutely free, no questions asked. It's a case of you can find out more about who I am. I get to find out more of who you are, and I can't help myself. I'm going to give you lots of advice and start teaching you over the phone immediately. It's who I am as a teacher on the planet. So what? Uh, that's definitely what you're passionate about. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you can feel that. You can feel that, that it is. So, uh, again, if anyone has uh, more questions about this, uh, they can get your book, uh, thriving as an Empath, Empowering Your Highly Sensitive Self uh, by Trevor Lewis and Abigail McKinney. And I noticed on the book that it is endorsed by Carolyn Mace. You know, that she says that she recommends this for learning how to live with a sensitive, psychic nature in this chaotic world. Uh, great, great work, a great resource. And the uh, website, again, is thrivingempath.com. Yep. Yeah. That's wonderful. It, it's so great to hear that nowadays, while the challenges may be increasing, we have an increasing community uh, that, uh, of people that are willing to help us along this path that really has not been walked before. And, of course, if we really are, as a species, heading towards a more empathic nature, then how can we lie to each other when we can pick up the energy of, I know you're lying. I can feel you're lying, so why would I trust the words that are coming out of your mouth? So let's get back to basics here. Now be authentic with me from speaking the truth, then we can start acting in a way that is more authentic. If your pain is going to go through my body, then the idea of greed is not going to take effect. How can I be greedy for myself if I still have to process the pain that I put you through by being greedy? So it's a case of, all of the negative emotions that get generated by thinking that we are individual playing a win-lose game where if I win, you have to lose. If you're going to win, I have to lose. doesn't work. It has to be a win-win because if you're losing, your pain and suffering is going through my body. So I want you to win just as much as I want me to win. That's the oneness principle. That's the oneness principle. That's fantastic. Uh, before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask, what uh, you have this meetup group. Uh, what are the ages? And um, this is both men and women? Men and women, usually more women than men. Um, it's hard for men to be sensitive, emotional, introspective in the society that we were brought up in. That's changing rapidly. Um, it's different in Asheville from many of the towns that I've lived in. But yes, more women than men. Um, 
tends to be an older group rather than younger, um, perhaps simply because of the introspection that comes with age. But I've had millennials in the group. I've worked with millennials. Um, in particular, it's a real pleasure to talk to parents. Most of us as empaths um, in the second half of our lives had parents who didn't understand what we were capable of, what being sensitive meant, what being an empath meant when we were growing up. The parents that are now coming through that recognize that they're empaths themselves and now teaching their children how to cope with these energies, how to deal with being empaths in a way that the next generation really is ushering in a new age that is going to be pretty amazing. Yeah, so I can see where it would be very valuable talking to parents as well as the the older empaths themselves because you can relate to having a childhood where you felt a little weird. Absolutely, and now I'm blessed with an 18-year-old boy, a, a almost 16-year-old girl, but my son is one of my biggest fans. He's quite definitely an empath himself can pick up energy from other people. And it's really rewarding to see that blossom in the next generation. I can imagine. I can imagine. Trevor, thank you so very, very much for all of your insights and sharing all of your wisdom with us. Uh, and I'm so grateful for the work that you are doing in helping uh, us grow. Darlene, thank you for the opportunity. Many blessings for being able to share this knowledge with people. Thank you. You're welcome. Before we end, I just wanted to quote from uh, a book by uh, Mark Nepo called The Book of Awakening. And this talks about the pain of becoming. The simple rose at each moment of its slow blossoming is as open as it can be. The same is true of our lives. In each stage of our unfolding, we are as of our unfolding, we are as stretched as possible. For the human heart is quite slow to blossom and is only seen as lacking when compared to the imagined lover or father we'd like to become. When we push ourselves to unfold faster or more deeply than is natural, we thwart ourselves. For nature takes time, and most of our problems of will stem from impatience. Perhaps one of the hardest remedies to accept for our pain of becoming is that whenever we, wherever we are in our path, no matter how flawed or incomplete, is a blossoming onto itself. However much we've done at the end of the day is more than enough. It is dream becoming true. So with that, I want to thank you all for coming, for attending, for listening, and really want you to know that I appreciate so much your dedication being the light that you are. Namaste.